This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear Full Fat. Yes, the Curling Brothers are back after the breakaway pirate pot. Tonight we'll be trying to find out exactly what happened and asking the question, why did Roy and James decide to go it alone? What were their motives and was it indeed any good? And just where were Jez and Rob? If there's time after all that, we'll try and fit in a bit about the Dambusters and our visit to the RAF Scampton Heritage Centre as we continue with our salute to the Avro Lancaster, which is celebrating its 80th anniversary this year. We'll run a clip of our visit with our brilliant guide, Colin, and the full version will be available in our Full Flaps edition, which drops a week after this episode, so it may be there right now. So let's just remind you who the four of us are. <laughs> the Splinter Group was led by Scouting for Girls lead singer Roy Splitter Stride. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Roy. Hello, me. His accomplice or co-conspirator, airline and former RAF pilot James Cartner, a.k.a. the backstabber. <laughs> <laughs> that was my hand, my call sign. <laughs> it's a very warm welcome back warm. to someone without whom this podcast would be nothing more than a lightweight and pale imitation. He's the very handsome, engaging and highly entertaining agricultural fencer to the Queen, yes. Jez Curling. <laughs> Hello, I'm back. Hello, Jez. Great Hello, to see you. Nice to see you. And he's even more handsome even more engaging and even more entertaining brother, broadcaster and master of ceremonies at Queen's, me, Rob Curling. Um, so, guys, it's it's great to be back with all of us. I'm, I'm sure our <laughs> listeners agree. Can we just work out what, as I put WTF, what happened? What instigated this pirate pod? Because you, bro, mm -hmm. were in your house five miles away. I was that. near my house. I was actually taking my daughter to... Cricket training. That's the right. only reason I couldn't make it. But I, I was back home having done the tennis at the Queen's Club. Mm. James flew in from Lagos mm. yeah. so that he could record with his mate, you... Roy. I thought you couldn't do it. Oh, That's no. why we did it. Oh, did you? So, did yeah. you? It was all about commitment to the cause. Yeah. Jez said on the WhatsApp group he couldn't do it. it. Yeah. He can't do Sunday. Well, well, you recorded on a Monday. Yeah, Monday. I yeah, couldn't do Sunday. No, exactly, <laughs> neither could I. But the Monday, the Monday. had we known... Yeah, well, we well. did, you did know. We told you, we're doing it on Monday. Yeah, yeah. that was on Monday. <laughs> After you'd done it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't see what that's got to do with But I, I tell you what, I hate to have to say this, but it was a really good listen. Mm. Roy was brilliant as a host... James was interesting. Well, you were really genuinely <laughs> interesting, now. Yeah, and yeah. you didn't cough once. No. Can you try and maintain I'm those trying, standards for one of the proper podcasts? Okay. <laughs> well, when are we doing one of those? <laughs> <laughs> right now. So we will be returning to our traditional values with Jez's superbly researched, excellent and fascinating quick facts all about the Dam Busters and their mission to breach the dams. And after last week's breach of trust, uh, there's a welcome return, of course, to the quiz. But shall we start with Ask James? Is there anything left to ask you, James? Actually, it was a, a couple lot. of things have mm -hmm. come up, actually. Yeah. I loved your helicopter stuff. Mm -hmm. in that Did you understand thing. it? I had to rewind it and try and follow it again. Roy claimed to understand. Yeah, I didn't believe that. For I didn't believe for a moment. I was no. throwing fivers across the desk at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Roy was going, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, oh, yes, yeah, got that, yeah. Not a clue. No, it was really good. But Jimbo, I mm. thought it was great, and I sent you a copy of a tweet that came in about the 50th anniversary of the dear old Puma in RF service. Yes, yeah. So Your old bird. My old bird. Um, <laughs> she doesn't like being called that. But, oh, we'll talk about the Puma now. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, it's celebrated its fiftieth year in service. Came into uh, into service in nineteen seventy one. Um, it looks a little bit different. They've got the pips on the front. If you look at pictures of it pre about nineteen ninety ish, yeah, they put a thing called pips, which are polyvalent intake protection system. Yeah. I think Roy which, Roy knew that. Roy knew that. Yeah. he was he was actually he's the one who told me about that. <laughs> and um, so it, it it looks some some people say it looks worse. Some people say it looks better. I, mm. I quite like stuff with things hanging off it. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. uh, when I look at the mirror. So um, it's yeah, it's, it's been going 50, 50, 50 years, and they've celebrated with a special paint fit. Nice, it looks um, good with a Union Jack on the tail because yeah. everything has to have a Union Jack on it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but it looks very good. It does look. It looks the mutts nuts. Yeah, it looks the what? 
dogs dangly Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it, it's been a real workhorse, hasn't it? Has. How much longer does it have, do you think? Uh, I think they're looking at phasing it out in the next six to seven, seven mm. years. They're looking at replacements now. Mm. And by the time those have been selected and then evaluated and brought into service, that'll be f- at least six years. Yeah. So I should. Th- I think realistically it'll probably be out of service by 2030. Okay. How, um, how long did you fly it for? I flew the Puma for... Six years. Six years. Mm. And where does it rate in... It's the best Puma I've ever flown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I loved it. It was my, you know, my sort of staple for most of my time in the, in the RAF. Yeah. And it had its foibles then, which have been ironed out since with a well, new engine upgrade. The falling over. No, the falling over... Well, yeah, the falling over was part of it. Um, but it's... Yeah, it, it has issues, but it, it, it's a... What it does, it does really, really well. It's his biggest it's, issue that it can't lift as much as a Chinook. I don't know how much a Chinook can lift. And maybe if anyone's listening who flies a Chinook, they could let us know. Yeah, that would be interesting to find out. The Chinook's had a good paint job too. It's had the it's same, got the similar, similar yeah. thing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and no. the Typhoon. The... And we just ordered another 14 brand new Chinooks as well for the RAF. So um, it's all looking good on the helicopter front. Well, that is looking good. Mm. I thought everything was being downsized. No, right I think they're buying more Chinooks. Goodness Chinook. me. Um, because they need more people to tell people how much they can lift. <laughs> it <just laughs> never goes away, does it? <laughs> oh, well, good. Happy birthday to the to the dear old Puma. Yeah, absolutely. James, a couple of things. I've, I have actually been in the air, in, in an airliner recently. Ooh. I flew across to Paris for the French Open tennis mm-hmm. to work on it. It wasn't a jolly, although no. it was actually really good fun. Yeah. But um, a couple of questions sprang to mind is when I went on to book my, to do my online check-in, mm-hmm. I thought, well, obviously go for a window seat. Mm-hmm. Every seat was taken. And I went on the moment that they say, you know, 24 mm-hmm. hours before, actually with Air France, it was 30 hours before. Right. So I was a little bit late on that. Yeah. But why does that always oh, because happen? It, because that half Air, the seats have already gone. Air France, block out the seats for non-French. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I think they are, I think they release seats in stages. So that although they might put oh, the seats all for, all for sale, yeah. that they they sort of filtering out where, where they go because it's, each airline will have a dis- different. Um, What's for their frequent flyer program? Possibly and things, yes, for frequent flyers and, and different. So different um, fares might. Some I'm not sure all airlines do this, and I'm not sure any particular airline does this. But different fares uh, have access to different seats, often. Yeah, and also. Um, from a loading point of view, ideally you want to load the back first, yeah, because it makes it cheaper to fly. Right. If, if the back's heavier, it than the counterbalances front. the pilot. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is just on your aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> it's always on my aircraft. I don't know why. It never happens on the others. I don't, I don't know what the. <laughs> um, otherwise, we just tip over. Yes. <laughs> As a seven eight seven happened yeah. the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're cheap to repair. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Obviously not. Those who are listening, who listened to last uh, the episode and heard my... Um, the pirate pod. <laughs> pirate pod. And heard my estimate of a, of a few hundred thousand pounds for the uh, repair of a Boeing 787. Uh, Roy informs me that the real figure is closer to nine million. <laughs> yeah. So I was only a little bit out by about 870,000. Um, but yes. But well, it's not your job pay. to know those things. No, it's yeah. not. To be fair. <laughs> No, the flying experience actually was generally good. I have to say, Air France were great. I was so sad not to get a window. Mm. And then as I boarded, I spoke to the purser and I said, I really wanted a window seat. She said, oh, OK, let's stand here. Let's have a look through. She said, oh, there's, a, there's one here, mm. but someone may be sitting in it. So if they are, don't sit there, uh-huh. but go and have a go. So I went and sat in the seat and I mm. thought, this is looking all right. Then someone made a big huff when they sat down in the aisle seat on that row and then I someone hope you did the British thing and just looked out the window. Oh, of course, you? I just looked out the window. <laughs> and then it t- then he was asked why he was sitting in this woman's seat, and he said, "Well, that's meant to be my seat, the window seat." And, oh, so is there is there a problem? And I said, "No, I really want to be sitting with my wife, who's in two rows up there." So it was chaos. Mm. But I stuck. I stuck to my guns. Did you? Yeah, well done. Well done. <laughs> right. Yeah, with my sharklet wingtips. So isn't it amazing they put that on the booking form that your wingtips are sharklets? I don't know why they think passengers want to know these things. I mean, I do. Maybe they're worried that it sort of hit something and bent up on the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but that links again to the point you were making, actually, uh, when you're talking about rotor blades and, mm-hmm. and the spill of the air at mm-hmm. the end of the wing. That's, that's what that's all that deals with. Part isn't of it. It? There's 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 a couple of reasons, but that's one of them. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Should we know the other one? 
Not in this. No. Not <laughs> in this lifetime. short sex <laughs> segment. <laughs> fine, 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 And could I just. Uh, just uh, some sort of experience to, to give to other people who may be flying. Just warn them about coming back into Heathrow, everything, we were in and out of Terminal 2. Mm. Now, only Terminal 2 and Terminal 5 at the time I flew were open. Mm-hmm. So everything apart from British Airways, and even some British Airways flights, I think, were operating out of Terminal 2. Oh, right. So it was chaotic. Mm. It was so busy. But coming back into Terminal 2... Two, three hundred people, I suppose, queuing for two booths, two border control officers. So they've doubled it. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't understand this, particularly when it's all taking so much longer. Rather than ten seconds maximum for a person to show their passport and go through, it's now more like a minute. Now, it may be even longer than that because they're checking all the COVID stuff. Mm. And the additional thing they were asking for at Heathrow, which nobody knew about, and they should have just put a sign at the beginning mm. of the hour-long queue, and that we might have already had it ready to show, mm. was proof of purchase of the PCR test. test mm. Because apparently people on the um, passenger locator form mm. were just making up a reference number, and that was mm. getting them through. So they now want even more paperwork, but no one was prepared. I think they're hoping that, that so many people die in the queue that fewer people get in. <laughs> well, the it lane. just seems yeah. ludicrous. It just seemed utterly bonkers. No, it, it, it meant all the luggage had come off the belt by the mm. time. In fact, it had almost already been sent off to the... There's an old adage that says, time to spare, go by air. And I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so that that was my recent experience, but it was lovely to be back up mm. in the air. It really was. Uh, Air France did a good job. Uh, good. Been doing much flying, Roy? Has the weather been against no, you? No, the weather's been against me since. Well, actually, I did tell James. I don't think we mentioned it on last week's pod about my flight because the last time we met, I did some some mid-air circuits mm. where I pretended to land on a runway a thousand oh, foot right. up, yeah. which we did really well. And then I made some ballsy claim that I thought I could land a plane, and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, the last lesson I had was medium level turns, but the weather was pretty bad. In fact, before we were taking off, it was just, it was just, we were just on our phones in the the Icarus with the rain just pouring down, thinking this is never going to happen. Got up there, did some medium level turns. The weather we could see is like big black clouds coming in, so we went back down. He said, "Do you want to do the Do you want to do the circuit? Do you want to come and land?" <laughs> which I wasn't quite prepared for and it was really windy and so I I came in late downwind so I didn't have any chance to go through all the things because I practice in my head you know coming in Mm. you know (laughs) crosswind downwind doing all the the checks and so by the time I got there and turned base and started to descend. The wind was doing all sorts of stuff. And when I went on to finals, he Jack just goes, "Oh, I think I'll take it." <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was my last. That was my last lesson. Oh, so it was a well, shame. yeah, you'll but, get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, next, you know, it should be circuits is is the next lesson. So I should be landing it. Oh, hopefully. brilliant! Yeah, circuits and bumps. Mm. So when you do a so, so you landing and you know you're going to take off again, mm-hmm. do you still come in with full flaps? Yeah. For landing. Yep. Yeah. So, so you have to try and make it as normal. Landing. The whole point is to practice the landing. So that's, that's what circuits is all about. Yeah. I mean, it is about a nice, accurate circuit. It always helps the landing. But it's about practicing landing. So you make it as if you're going to land. Yeah. And then either you... I mean, depending on the types of... So on airliners, it's quite weird because you land. Yeah. And then you let go and the... The uh, training captain then takes it, does a load of stuff with his hands, and, goes, <laughs> and you're airborne again because there's so much flap out. You can't select reverse and all this no. stuff once you once you've done it. But in a um, yeah, in light aircraft, you just do it yourself. Just, yeah. well, we, we did that yeah. when yeah. you took me up in the Katana. Yeah, did some did some bumps. Bumps. But do you would you change your flap setting on the Icarus once you're on the ground, ready to rotate again, or would you I not would need take to? off? I would take off with yeah, the... You take yeah. off with landing flap. Yeah. Oh, OK. It's yeah. slightly right. non-standard. OK. So that's the only sort of non-standard part of that circuit is your takeoff okay. will be with more flap than you oh, normally right, OK. Would. And then, you, yeah, you put them in as you... It just means you get airborne a little bit quicker. Yeah. yeah. Oh, does it? Mm. OK. doesn't slow you down. Makes you more aerodynamic. Mm. It gives you more lift. Yeah, more lift. Yeah. Brilliant. Good. Cheers, any questions? Well, I just picked up on something from the from the news the other day. Um, about um, supersonic air travel, mm. maybe coming back to... So United have said they're going to sign a contract for 20... I think 20, I might be wrong. Um, have these new... Is it Zoom or Boom or... Boom. Boom. Yeah, well, the, I think it's the Overture mm. aircraft. It looks 
pretty much identical. I think Concord. it's a bit smaller than Concord. It looks, yeah, there are the very big windows. Um, I'm looking at a picture of it now, <laughs> with about ten people in each window. <laughs> or it's a very small aircraft. Um, but the, so they, they they want to do a supersonic service around the world to loads of destinations. Um, I think someone who's tried it, uh, a Mr. Walsh, formerly of British Airways, <laughs> has said they're never going to do it. Hmm. It'll never make money. Um, so there's, I think it's a it's a sort of intention to do it. No aircraft have been. I think it's still on the on the drawing board from what I can gather. Yeah, the boom, but um, yeah, I mean, let's do it. Let's get back to supersonic travel because anything else is a is a retrograde step, really. What about the the green element of supersonic flight? Mm. Is, is that is that <laughs> a negative? Yeah. Well, you're up. You're flying for less time, so you're polluting less, surely. Yeah, well, that's yeah. I guess that no, I don't think of, that is right. No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, well, but so it's, it's not, it's not it's using <laughs> the old Rolls Royce with the Conways, Olympus. Olympus, Olympus. Sorry, Olympus yeah. engines, which were were pretty. Uh, I think mean, you just basically just just tipped jugs of fuel into it. To yeah, keep you just watch it coming you? out unburnt <laughs> behind. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I think what would, and this is a big debate which we could have, and we could have to do a whole pod on this, but the um, the extra Earth orbit. Um, idea which was first talked about in the 60s and 70s where you actually go into into space and then and then land so it's like a, a ballistic yeah. um, that has less in the way of um, pollutants because you're gliding for half of it you're out of the atmosphere for uh, the rest of it or a lot of it yes you've got to get yourself up there um, and that was a an idea that was going to take off in this, I think actually as early as the 60s but instead of America had invested a bit of cash and money and time and effort into that, but they then diverted all their efforts to the moon shot, and that was was um, put by the wayside. Right. And there are proponents of that system who said if that had gone ahead, you know, the, time, the flying time to Australia now would be four or five hours. We're saying here about about the, this overture aircraft. It won't go as fast as Concorde. Mm. Um, it would fly up to Mach 1.7, whereas Concorde was 2.04. Mm. Um, I'm just reading a quote here. They are expecting it to be net zero carbon. Well, yeah. Because they're going to run it on posh biodiesel. Posh? Made out, that's what it says. Posh bio, that's a quote. Posh biodiesel made out of everything from waste animal fat from the farming industry, especially grown high energy crops. So somebody from Cranfield University. Oh. So, right. be interesting to see. Maybe they could do that for other aircraft. We've talked about fuel mm. for aircraft mm. before, so... Green supersonic travel. Wow. We'd all be doing it. Amazing. There's a thing. Well, look, do you think we should turn our attention to this week's topic? <coughs> and it is the Dambusters. It is the Dambusters. Dan Nothing minor about that. Nothing. After our wonderful trip to the Heritage Centre at Scampton. Jez, can you give us some Dambusters quick facts? I can, and as usual, hopefully they are factual, but I'm afraid they're not going to be very quick. This was really difficult, because... Everybody knows something about the Dambusters, um, but it's such a huge subject that I had to distill it down to... Uh, That's to what apologies quick facts the... are all about. Well, I don't know how well I've distilled it down. So there could be stuff missing, there could be stuff made up, who knows. Um, but hopefully... So slow, not facts. Slow, slow uh, uh, debatable facts. Yeah, here we go. On the night of the 16th of May, 1943, Wing Commander Guy Gibson led the new and specially formed 617 Squadron of the RAF and what has become... One of the most famous bombing missions in history, Operation Chastise. The mission was to disrupt the German industrial and military powerhouse, the Ruhr Valley, by bombing three large and heavily defended dams, the Mona, Ada and Sorpa. For this task, a brand new weapon and specially adapted Lancaster was needed to defeat the anticipated heavy defences of torpedo nets at the dams. British engineer Barnes Wallace, who worked at the Vickers Aircraft Company, had been working on just such a weapon for years, despite much derision and opposition from Whitehall and the Air Ministry. The weapon, of course, was the bouncing bomb, codenamed Upkeep. The now legendary 617 Squadron were based at the equally legendary and must-be-saved RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we'll touch on that later. Chief of Bomber Command, Sir Arthur Bomber Harris, uh, was a sceptic of the whole notion of the raid and the bouncing bomb, but grudgingly finally gave his blessing. Um, and we all know the story pretty well, but here are a few um, Dambusters stats. Uh, Chastise involved 133 aircrew in 19 specially adapted Lancasters, the Lancaster B Mark III Special Type 464 provisioning, carrying a single upkeep bomb. Uh, the bomb weighed 9,250 pounds, it had a 60 inch length and 50 inches in diameter. 
and on dropping had a 500 um, revs per minute backspin expect where it was dropped at the sawper where it was just dropped without any backspin um, because it, the, the sawper attack was flown uh, uh, parallel to the dam wall whereas all the others were flown at, because of the approach Didn't whereas the, the other uh, the Mona and the Ada they flew down the length of the dam yeah. and span it wow. into the wall rather than, yeah. which is probably why the sawper raid failed quick fact oh, that was really an actual fact, fact. and, and, yeah. so, and yeah. They spun it before. I didn't realise this. They spun it. Today. It had yeah. backspin on it. And that was done in the aircraft. It was basically a bicycle chain yeah. and nice. a motor. And 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 uh, somehow it, you know the, the calipers yeah. released it. I guess it was when it hit the water. It was spinning, and yeah. that's you know I think that, that's what helped it to to skip. to skip. Can you imagine flying that? Because it's so how low they were mm-hmm. with 60 a feet. bomb that heavy spinning at 500 well, and, and, and because of course the spinning was sent you know when you, so you, you had, a, you had yeah. a gyroscope you know you yeah. and you used to pull the gyroscope and you try to turn it on its side yeah. Yeah. it's really hard work and you'll know much more about why that is but this it had massive handling uh, uh, adverse handling issues on, on the on the lanks because this thing was spinning gosh so yeah wow anyway um so that's a spinning bomb. The, the explosive used in the bouncing bomb was called Torpex or Torpedo Explosive. And actually it had been around for years. It was developed um, almost at the turn of the century. Of the 19 aircraft of 617 Squadron that took off that May, uh, that May evening, only 11 returned. Two of the dams were breached by only three aircraft. Uh, the Mona by squadron leader Dingy Young in A. Apple and David Maltby and J. Johnny. Uh, Young was tragically shot down over the Dutch coast on his return home. And the Ada was destroyed by Leslie Knight's aircraft and Nancy. Both Maltby and Knight's uh, crews uh, both made it home. Of the 133 aircraft that we talked about, um, 53 men were killed and three became prisoners of war. And on the ground, almost 1,300 people were killed in a resulting flooding. And actually a lot of them were prisoners of war. Um, they were slave labour yes. from um, Eastern Europe um, in their sort of wooden huts. Mm. Um, so it wasn't that they particularly killed a lot of German civilians. Well, that would obviously be pretty poor. Um, these, these guys were totally innocent um, slave labour. Um, although the impact on the industrial production was uh, limited, the raid gave a significant moral boost or morale boost to the people of Britain. Albert Speer, the Reich Minister of Armament, said, We were in great danger. If the English had systematically destroyed all the dams in the region, our steel industry would have collapsed. And it's always surprising, I think, that no further raids on the dams are undertaken. And both the Mona and Ada were repaired relatively quickly. Hmm. So they, they took their opportunities, but there could have been more opportunities, I think, to have done more. But I think they felt that um, it was probably too dangerous. And, the, the, you know, the defences were upped. Yeah. There, are, there are your sort of quickish... Those are damage facts. Great facts, yes. really, I think really that, that there was a, an ongoing debate about the effectiveness of the dam busters, I think, isn't there? And... Of all the stories I've seen, it certainly meant that they had to defend their other dams a great deal more than they had already, which took off a lot of resources. Um, And so even though it wasn't necessarily a tangible... Um, it was disruptive. Effect. It was massively disruptive, mm. and I think from the morale point of view, if you're if you're living downwind of a dam, mm. and you know that the the Brits have bombed two in the last few weeks, it's going to make you think twice about going to work that day. <laughs> yeah, well, I think greater historians than us will mm. will debate, and and mm. you know, is is in any book you read about it, will have debated how you know, whether it shortened the war or if mm. it made any. But you know, the morale mm. effect. Mm. You know, we've all heard at the end of the Dan Buster's film that fantastic with the with the Dan Buster's music in the end <laughs> saying, uh, uh, "Lancaster Six One Seven Squadron have undertaken it." That's not quite, <laughs> but you know, I love that little bit of mm, um, yes. of audio. Uh, it's it's very moving, and it must have been, you know, at the time, and the newspaper headlines must have been a huge yeah. boost to. It has to some the echoes of the Black Buck raids, doesn't it? And yeah. and the the usefulness of. That bombing of the runway at Stanley. Mm-hmm. And a lovely link, of course, with the same same squadron, same, squadron, yeah. same aircraft designer. <clears throat> yeah, Roy Chadwick. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It's 11 years between <laughs> the Lancaster and the Vulcan. And we are going to do a Vulcan <laughs> episode, uh, listeners, when they let me. <laughs> yeah, no, we must. Jez, you mentioned um, that two or three were taken prisoner. Yes. Um, of war. And they, I think, were the crew that survived from Hoppy Hopgood's lake. Yes, I think that's right, because I think three escaped the crash, 
but only two survived. That's true of that aircraft. So yeah, I, uh, but I, 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 there's so, so many. Facts but there's a I lovely local one. connection to that. I don't know. You might know uh, this, yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. That Hoppy Hopgood lived in the village of Shear, which yeah. is very near where we all yeah. live now, mm-hmm. and. One of the guys he saved was the bomb aimer, Flight Lieutenant John Fraser, who named his daughter Shear because it was where Hoppy Hopgood came from and he saved his life. Mm. And uh, I to, think I'm right in saying, sorry to cut across you, I yeah. think, and I stand to be corrected, but I'm pretty certain Hoppy, Hopgood, uh, Hoppy Hopgood's um, gravestone is up at St Martha's Church. Near Guildford. Um, yeah. yeah, near Guildford. So you can visit that. That would that would make sense. Yeah. Wow. No, it's a, it's a lovely one. It's a lovely one. The... The history of Dan Busters has gone down. A lot of it is because of the film. Yeah. And which is a fantastic film. And, you know, we're so lucky to almost have the, just the, the archive footage of the flying that was done to, mm. to create that film. Yeah. But there were inaccuracies in the film, weren't there? Quite well, a lot. Yes, the... there were. But I've just been reading Enemy Coast Ahead, which mm-hmm. is Guy Gibson's own account, not just of that, yeah. but, but of, of a lot of it, but of the Dan Busters raid as well. And there's an awful lot in there, mm. which is in the film, yeah. which I questioned as a, a yeah. viewer. But what were you... So, to... particularly the... Um, for example, the height targeting, the mm. lights. Yes. That oh, had been yes. done for years mm. yes. on aircraft. Yes. So the fact that, that Guy Gibson went to a cabaret act yeah. <laughs> and came up with the idea... Yes. Great for the film. Great yeah. for the film. Unfortunately, not true. Not but, true. But one of the crew had been to see a strip show in London... And Which had nothing he, to do with the bomb. You're just <laughs> so happy. <laughs> but, but when Guy Gibson told him about these uh, the mm. the lights, mm. and I think the guy who came up with the light thing was a guy called Lockspizer, mm-hmm. and there was a chap who was operating a land development aircraft whose name is Lockspizer out of Wisley. So I, I guess there's a connection there. Yeah. But anyway, and when this crew member had been told about these lights, which as you correctly said were used in the First World War. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I could have told you that because I thought exactly that when I was watching these lights, as if he's watching the spotlights, yeah. <laughs> at, at the strip show. So I think there's an... I know mm. it's not exactly mm. as it was and they've taken a bit of... Which we might get onto, which I think is, is fascinating as well. From We might get onto it in our, in our Scampton visit, was that I always believed that they all had this bomb-aiming sight made of this sort of coat hanger effect. Yes. But yet they all had their own different things. They'd come I up with a piece of string. They and... bastardised what they had <laughs> yeah, and made yeah, it work yeah. for them. And, and there, there was no standard-issue bomb-aiming sight. Right, right. It was make something that works. And some <laughs> yes. came up with a coat hanger, some came up with a piece of string, some yeah. came up with... You know, it's, uh... Yeah, and we saw that, didn't we, at the yeah. uh, at the Heritage Centre. Yeah. yeah. The string across the, the bomb-aimers' yeah. perspex and all that. Brilliant. And then one of the other things that's in the um, that is in the film was because um, the the nose gunner is usually the bomb aimer, mm-hmm. also operates the nose gunner. But for this, they wanted the bomb aimer to help with navigation because mm-hmm. he had the best view because they were flying the whole operation at almost mm-hmm. zero feet. And so one of the guys said, "Well, the problem is, sir, that the uh, the um, front gunner's feet are dangling in front of the bomb aimer's yeah. face." So they invented some stirrups to yeah. lift his feet <laughs> yeah. up but that is all true but it's yeah. all in the film yeah. so I was amazed reading Enemy Coast Ahead which I hadn't read before yeah. actually how it's a great much book, isn't it? detail is actually really accurate mm. yeah. in the film yeah. but again as a film and, and as a historic sort of piece of work yeah. it is a fantastic yeah. film yeah. and I can watch that end on end for about three weeks yes. without getting bored I think no I agree with you and I think we've mentioned this in a previous podcast that that's why things like the Danbusters, partly why, and the Battle of Britain are so kind of fresh in everyone's mm. minds and why they've been a little over-romanticised, possibly, mm. is because of the films that have been made about them. Yeah. There haven't been films made about far bigger, far more successful mm. or even unsuccessful raids yeah. and operations, and therefore many of us are quite ignorant about them. Now, one rumour I did hear, just going slightly at a tangent here, is that the end of the first Star Wars film, where they're flying oh, down the... Um, yes. the that was based oh on God. the Dan Busters. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, George I, Lucas. I, I, George Lucas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've read this as well, so I guess it's oh, wow. maybe separately. His inspiration for at least part of Star Wars, maybe that bit you're mm. referring to, was, was the Dan Busters, a film he loved exactly when, he was, well. uh, yeah. when he was a kid. Yeah. I'm just going back to the enemy coast ahead. I, um, you know, some... Some things date really quickly, and, and actually, you might imagine that Guy Gibson's use of language might be, but I didn't feel it was dated at all. No, actually, I agree. It's, if you read it, you, it could have been written now. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a brilliant book. It's an absolutely superb book, and it's written in 1944. Mm. Of course, he died in 1944. Mm. Yeah. 
um, when so many things were was top secret. So he couldn't describe an awful lot of yeah. what was really happening. He couldn't talk about the bomb. Yeah. And in fact, even when they made the, the feature film in 1953, it was still secret, the bomb. Yeah. So they didn't know, the filmmakers, exactly what this bomb looked like. And they didn't actually get it quite right. Mm. Um, but they had a pretty good go. But the other interesting thing about Enemy Coast Ahead is Guy Gibson was told to write it by yes. the powers that be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, was that because they wanted him... Well, he went on a tour to America, didn't he? Yeah. After, after the um, dam busters, they sort of shipped him off as a sort of you know, poster boy for the RAF. Yeah. Thing, also, I think. I think it was too important to lose yeah. you know if he had been shot down yeah it would be such a <coughs> win for tragically but he wasn't very happy i think he was desperately unhappy and he yeah. didn't like that and he, in, in fact the book is quite critical of of um elements of the of um policy, of the, uh, the policy and the mm. sort of upper echelons of mm. the of the rf and its sort of command structure so it's interesting that you know it was published but he was a wing commander at 24, was it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He was 26 when he died. Yeah. Just incredible. incredible. Victoria Cross. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, our chap at, uh, uh, at, at Scampton talked about his Victoria Cross. Fantastic link. Is a yes. fantastic link. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Should we hear it? Yeah. yeah. We had this brilliant tour around the Heritage Centre with Colin who was the most superb guide. His Amazing. knowledge was incredible. His passion was fantastic. And his delivery was impeccable. <laughs> oh, was yeah. Absolutely superb. Oh, yeah. So let's hear from some of our visit to the Heritage Centre with Colin. What have you picked for our clip here, Roy? Uh, I have picked the bit where Colin, uh, we walk into one of the rooms, I can't remember, it's got all the VCs, which have been won from uh, pilots who flew out of Scampton. Yeah, And brilliant. it's the story of some of these heroes. Fantastic. South, this room was World War II was the clerk's room. This is where we typing's done. We think it was separated by a, a pretend wall there. That was the map room under lock and key in the Dambusters time because it's a top secret raid. Then guys did not know what they were gonna hit till the day of the raid. So the maps were hidden. So that was under lock and key, two keys, one's in Gibson's pocket, one's on guard. That's how it stayed. That's the history of this room. But the main thing here is the VCs. Now this is unprecedented here. So VC, Victoria Cross, is the highest medal you can win for valour in the military. And most people die getting it, above and beyond the call of duty. There's, in Bomber Command there's 23 VCs in World War II and eight of them were Lincoln, and out of those eight in Lincoln were 45 airfields. We've got three, and nobody else has got that. Wow. In HQ, there'd be the original paintings and uh, a bust of it, these. We've also got a guy here uh, who won, the only person we know has won two medals on the same raid, and one of them is the George Medal, and we've also got George Cross winner as well here. So this is very, very important here. And the stories are fantastic. If you read about a VC, they're not worth any when, when they're made. There's, I think if you watch a, a documentary by Clarkson, he tells you about a lump of metal that's left. It's, it's metal from a, a cannon in the Crimean War. Oh, yes. And they make them in batches and they're worth nothing. But once they've got a name and a story on, they're worth a quarter of a million pounds. Which is why we haven't got one sitting over there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and if you do see one of them, they're probably a fake one. Yeah. Because they're just yeah. not... You just can't leave them lying around. No. Yeah, 1940, Leroy, first guy in Bomber Command. Um, he brought his crashed, well, his shot-up aircraft back to the UK somehow after a bombing raid. Didn't he get back? When he got back, uh, it was still dark, and, it, and he knew the hydraulics had gone, so he ain't going to get the wheels down. He's probably got to belly it in. Flaps are stuck down, he can't fly it properly. And when he got it here to get it in, he flew the aircraft until it was daylight, then winched the wheels down by hand and they stayed down, saved the crew's life. And a month later, this guy, on the way to, uh, in his Hamden bomber, it's a four-man crew. Who's this? This is John Hanna. Yeah. Uh, four-man crew in, a, in the Hamden and uh, the, the aircraft's being shot at and all the flat goes inside the aircraft and all the ammunition catches fire. So there's an inferno on it. This is 83 Squadron. Same squadron as um, Guy Gibson is on the same raid. And he saw it and he said, yeah, it should have gone down. So the two, got, two guys jumped out 
and John Hanna realises the pilot's still flying the aircraft. He's the last man out, the pilot, because he's got to hold it while the others get out. So he tries to put the fire out. Now that's only 33 inches wide, there's an inferno in there. He used two little extinguishers, his gloves, his hat, his, his coat, bare rounds, and got the fire out. The floor's melting under the heat, it's full of smoke, he can't breathe, but he crawled through the aircraft, found the maps, and navigated the pilot back home, saved his life. And he's only 18 years old. What? And Guy Gibson, we've already talked about, obviously. He's won every medal in there is over and over again. His VC was on his way, but he got it on the dam's ray because he flew side, side, side by side the other aircraft. And to other, track yeah, the that's it, yeah, human target. What had he done before? But you said there was a VC on the way to him before. Well, he won every medal you can right. uh, okay. over and over again. So there's a point where, you know what, he's done his job and he's going to get the ice on yeah. for that. Flint in, and that, in Hamden Bomber 41, that's 83 squadron as well, he was flying to uh, Osnabrück for a bombing raid. Two Messerschmitts, one tens, attack him. Somehow he got away from him, but the aircraft smashed up. So instead of turning back, he carried on did the bombing raid. He got a Distinguished Flying Medal for that. On the way back, they're going to finish him off filled him full of bullet holes and he thinks what well, he's struggling to get back. They scarped on, on the way to England and he had 800 yards left and he had to belly the aircraft into the sea because there's no power in the aircraft to get it over the cliffs of Cromer. Mm. So it's now in the water sinking, it's full of bullet holes and so is the raft and they're all swimming for it. However, he realised the navigators... Still in Yeah, and he swam back to the aircraft, pulled the dead weight of the body out and swam him 800 yards back to shore. He got the George Medal for that. And he died four years, five years ago. It's from Nottingham. Goodness. So this is an important room, mm. even though there's hardly anything in it. So that was Colin, who was just brilliant. That was just brilliant. a tiny bit of, of the tour that we had, which wasn't just around the Dambusters offices and mm. everything there but we also went into the heritage hangar where they had loads of aircraft and that was the exciting bit the hangar yeah i mean all the bits are in there yeah i mean there was a bit yeah. of vulcan in there there was a bit yeah. of everything in there jez nearly <laughs> head nearly fell off when he saw the bits of the vulcan yeah there was hawks i think i'd flown a hawk i'd flown was in there really in one piece yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was bits of <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant and and we were treated as well to the Red Arrows doing a little four ship. Yes, uh, it was just practice. after Tom Bowles yeah, had taken, taken over as Red One. Couple of weeks, isn't it? Yeah. So we were unbelievably lucky. There's a bouncing pop. There's everything there. Yeah, it is. You have to go, oh, listeners. Yeah. So Colin was a, a font of knowledge, and I think it, what it taught us is what other people have mentioned is the value of Scampton mm. as an historical artefact. Mm. Which is limited. Which is now very limited because it is due for closure in the next couple of years. Mm. And there is a campaign to save Scampton and we've recorded this very evening um, an interview with the lady behind it, Annette Edgar. The interview was so good, we were going to try and fit it into this podcast, but we want to include all of it. So we're actually going to make a special podcast of Annette's interview about Save Scampton. In the meantime... If you can get on to save, at Save Scampton, either on Twitter or Facebook, have a look, see what they're up to. And if you feel you can support what is a terrific cause to save this airfield for posterity, to preserve it in some way, in then perpetuity. please do. In perpetuity. <laughs> well, well done. If ever we have a top landing gear squadron badge, that has to be the motto. Yeah. Just in perpetuity. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just great. So we've got all of that to look forward to. Now, something else I've been looking forward to for weeks, and I thought got the most disdainful reference in the previous Pirate Pod. We've got a whole quiz in there. You asked the same question at least twice, which was, James, do you want a quiz? Well, ask that now. James, would you like a no. quiz? <laughs> well, you're going to have one, because, ladies and gentlemen, it is the return of the Top Landing Gear Quiz. Hey. That's my buzzer. Oh, yes, we've got to go through all this palaver now, haven't we? Has everyone got their buzzers together for yep. the Dan Busters pod quiz? Yes. Let's start with um, Rob. What have you got? Uh, my buzzer is uh, Dan Busters. Here we go. Oh. 
beautiful. That's really lovely. Jez, I've got... I thought you'd nick mine for a second there. I've got... Hang on, let's make sure I get this right. I've got this one. Superb. Didn't you use that in the last one? I haven't used that one before. Oh, okay. I've used lots of that film, but not that long. <laughs> that was the last one I've ever I like that. Yeah. yeah. And Jimbo? In the last one, <laughs> yeah. I was one out. So you all used John Marshall. Oh, yeah. And I used this because I thought we were talking about Lincolnshire's oh. uh, connection to the Dambus. <laughs> you got it wrong. So yeah. I'm now back, with, back on theme with yeah. last week's buzzer of... Bomb gone. Bomb gone. Which is what yours says. Mine is, look, it's gone as the <laughs> dam. Uh, dam. Right. dam is breached. Can I just wish myself the best of luck <laughs> looking out here on Earth as buzzed in? Yeah. Please, lads, make it clear. Are you ready? Yeah. The Dam Busters pod quiz. Here we go. Question number one. As Jez told us in his excellent quick facts, the Lancasters that were used for the dam's raid, Operation Chastise, were modified Mark III's. Now, apart from the removal of the Bombay doors and some armour... What else was missing from these Lancasters? I think it was Jez. Just the upper turret. Well done, Gerard. You're absolutely right. It was the uh, upper, mid-upper or dorsal turret, which was removed to save weight. Um, and, in fact, we talked about the mechanism, didn't we, for spinning yeah. the bomb, and they used the, the motor from the turret to power that mechanism. Can I, I just make a point? Yeah. This, um, uh, after the last quiz, that was the actual quiz, I got a comment saying how much fraternal favouritism there was going on in the previous yeah. quiz. Okay, uh, every do you want time... to read that out? Yeah, it's here. I'm just looking at my... my uh, Let's hear it. Uh... But you wrote it. I didn't write it. Well, so no, write it. It. We, know that we know it wasn't a listener because it refers to Jezza. No <laughs> yeah. one of our followers knows him as Jezza. The one person who would call him Jezza is your listen, wife. Listen Jez. to the Petworth podcast. Definite sibling favouritism in the quiz. Jezza gets Jezza. far too much praise. Far very, too much praise. Very good though. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, like say that you're cheating. But mm. okay, well, Jez, good answer. James, point away for um, <laughs> unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> Sour grapes. Sour grapes. That's a shame. Carry on. Let's see who wins this one again. (laughs) 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 Okay, question number two. Uh, The Lancasters in the Dambusters film were flown by serving RAF pilots and crews. They were selected because they'd just seen action on a four-month tour on the Lanc successor, the Lincoln. Where? Malaya. Correct! Oh, Roy! It was Malaya. They were taking part in Operation Bold during the uh, Malayan emergency and they were actually bombing the communist terrorists in the jungle. Yeah. With Lincolns? With Lincolns. With Avro Lincolns. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Well done. So, uh, after two questions, Roy has one, uh, Jez has one, James has minus one. (laughs) Quite rightly. Now, following the raids, a squadron badge and motto was chosen. What was the motto? Yes, James. Something like the waters take them over or the waters envelop them or something like that. Unlucky. Incorrect. Anyone else want to buzz in for this one? Jez, I I, would have hoped that you might have got it. Deluge, is it deluge? Yeah, I was going to say. It is something. It is James is almost, but not almost. Not enough to get a point, but almost. No. No, anyone got it? No. It was Après moi le déluge. Oh, uh, yeah, bad yeah. luck, Jim. Uh, attributed to Louis the Fifteenth, <coughs> funnily enough, and his wife, Madame Pompadour, which was really talking about. I think what that really meant when they were came up with this comment was that it it doesn't really matter what happens when I die. Anything can happen. I don't really care because I'm not going to be alive anymore. Mm-hmm. But this was actually chosen by King George the Sixth. With a, it was a little sort of double entrange and a, a little bit of humour put in. Because of the the floods, it was après moi le déluge. Very cl- very very close to I what did. I said, almost. Almost, but not quite. <laughs> if I'd said it, obviously that would have been the point. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe, Half a point. possibly Half even wrong. Yeah. Um, what role did Flying Officer Frank Jerry Frey undertake in relation to the mission? I'm happy to give a clue. But this will very much favour James if he knows anything about the history of the airfield that Jerry flew out of, which was 
RAF Benson, where James used to be based. Yes, Jimbo. He flew the reconnaissance photograph of a Spitfire to take pictures of the damage that the dam did. Uh, yeah. Absolutely right, Jim. You're spot well on. Jim. He did. It was a big photo reconnaissance space, wasn't it? Mm, was, yeah. Well done. James, you're on naught. Well Thank done. you. <laughs> Absolutely superb. Isn't I that feel... Spit actually not the gate guy, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it's the gate guard. It is the gate, gate guard, yeah, yeah. Uh, that actual a, one? A or blue one. Type, I think it model. might be a plastic model, I'm not sure, but it's a, yeah, it's a blue, light blue Spitfire mm. on okay. the gate. Um, I've just been reading Enemy Coast Ahead. Is this a quiz question? It's still or a quiz. And I'm putting this in as a little extra, oh, actually, actually, because yeah. it's quite interesting. You know, I was telling you about the... Because uh, of the making uh, the quiz longer, Because Rob. of the secrets. <laughs> well, I'm trying to... Uh, the, but uh, he couldn't say a lot of... Um, talk about a lot of the facts mm-hmm. yeah. in the book because of top secrets. So how was Barnes Wallace referred to in Guy Gibson's book Enemy Coast Ahead? <laughs> Yes, Roy. It's like the oh, it's like the old guy with the cardigan or something like that, is it? <laughs> Grey hair or something? That may be the description, but he actually gave him a name. Oh, right. Oh, I thought it was just a certain gentleman from Vickers or something no, like that. No, no. It, it's quite funny. I read this today. It, it seems so kind of improbable in a way. It reminds me rather of a an Eddie Izzard sketch because he uses this name when he's on the um, doing his Star Wars skit. With Darth Vader. Uh, yes, James. Mr. Yeah. Parsons. Or it's Mr. not Perkins. Mr. Parsons. Jeff. It is Jeff. Jeff Fader. It's Je- Jeff Fader. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And because of that, I'm going to let you have that, Roy, because uh, I know you had a second girl. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff Fader. <laughs> but not in the book. It was yeah. just Jeff. Yeah. 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 Obviously. Right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, how many more questions am I allowed? A couple more? Uh, I think, as I'm in the lead, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> so at least two more then. <laughs> that's, uh, let's go with a couple more because I mean, you know, it takes me. It is the Dambusters. Well. It is the Dambusters. Yeah, okay. Dambusters. Okay. Who composed the Dambusters March? The theme to the film. Oh, some music. Yes, Eric Coates. Yes, Coates. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. I, I thought most people would have said. Did you say Oates or Coates? Coates. <laughs> Roy is streaking ahead with just maybe a couple of questions to go. We don't know. We don't know. That's what's so exciting. Roy has three. Jez has one. James on naught. Thank you. No, not at all. Um, Three of the four Lancasters used in the film had previously starred in another film about a wartime Lancaster squadron, which was premiered in 1953. Do you know what this film was? This is a pure guess, 633 scores. Oh, that's embarrassing. They were all mosquitoes. I know, but you never know. Well, I think it's another point away, James. (laughs) (laughs) Minus one. I mean. Well, no one else has come up with any answer at all, so well, I'll take a punt. Well, I think rather than look a complete uh, fool, they just stayed quiet. Silence in a pod is kind of embarrassing. No, but there's the turnabout theme tune. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting his full. Which you might this is drop full out. rundown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sometimes it does come to the end. Yeah. We're like, yeah. uh, and I have to loop it round. Well, I think you should stop it for that answer. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit of silence. <laughs> yeah, OK, well, it, it was called Appointment London with Dirk Burgard. Oh, and we can leave that question. Should we edit that out completely? No, no I think it's quite funny. Oh, we'll keep yeah, that in. Yeah, 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 yeah. James on minus one. One more question, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Operation Chastise subsequently became known as the Dambusters Raid, and 617 Squadron became known as the Dambusters. But where did the Dambusters name first appear? Where did it originate? Who first coined oh. that name? Yes, James. In the film. Incorrect. That's a oh, great shout, but wrong. Yes, Jared. I think it was something like in the Times newspaper. It was a, it was a journalist. Did you need more than that? A little bit of more accuracy with the answer. Not the good. Times. The Express Mail. Zong. If you drew a, a sort of a rough outline of an aeroplane, how much are you going to help him? What would you say the that silhouette. was? Silhouette. Like a. Is there a paper called a silhouette? Yeah, gazette. daily silhouette. Not quite a gazette. London gazette. More of a sort of. Um, if that's a sort of. A, yeah. you know, I made a bit of a. 
Shape uh, doodle, the London doodle, sort of gazette, the, the sort of sketch, <laughs> the London sketch. sketch. Well <laughs> done, yeah, Jez, I'll give you a point. Uh, excellent. So that concludes. Listeners, the- all I can say is I think I have been vindicated completely. <laughs> Let's just check on the scores. Final scores. James, he got back to zero, but ended up back with minus one, and I think we're For all coming thrilled. up with the name of a film, which was a film about, about mosquitoes. mosquitoes. I mean, this bombers. is an aviation podcast. Yes, you okay. are our expert. There might have been a Lancaster in it. They so had to lead sure someone. I'm not sure there was. They it's can't. Just, they're pathfinders. No, they weren't on this operation. Oh, okay. Were they? They went into. No, have you seen Six Three Three Obviously not. <laughs> so James with minus one in second place with two. Jez, but our winner this week wow. is Roy Stride with three. <laughs> well done, Roy. Oh. Good effort. You're quite oh, big, yeah. Excellent. Well done. I thought we could rename the quiz the Quick Quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. We, we tried that with Quick, quick Facts. Really mean that Not on, a chance. Uh, on this quiz. <laughs> Terms curly and quick just don't go together. Do they? <laughs> In any way, show or form. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Guys, thank you. It's been fun. It's been great to be back as a four ship. Uh, and coming up on Future Pods, more from our trip to Lincolnshire when we move right up to date with the RAF Typhoon Squadrons at RAF Coningsby. We were given unprecedented access and each got to fly the Typhoon Sim with varying degrees of success. And after all that fast jet stuff, there'll be a change of pace for our remaining Lincolnshire pods when we discover the joys of gliding and the fun we had flying microlights. And we'll round off the series where we began, with the Avro Lancaster, which we've been featuring heavily in this its 80th anniversary year, with our visit to the BBMF, where we met up with Bomber Commander Neil Faz Farrell, James's old mate. Um, so that's all to come in future episodes. And of course, don't forget, we've got the full flaps version of our trip around the Scampton Heritage Museum with Colin. And following that, we will also have our interview with Annette Edgar from Save Scampton. Two Gs. Well. We haven't got oh, that no. yet. Sorry. <laughs> It's coming out now. <laughs> in, in the meantime... Surely Edgar had two Gs. No, it hasn't. No. In the meantime, you can, of course, still listen to all our podcasts from Series 1 and 2. You'll find us wherever you normally get your pods. And please do get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Top Landing Gear. Stand by, James. And do email us your questions for askjames at info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com. Well done. And however you're listening to us, please recommend us to your friends and family and do leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And from all of us, bye for now. This is Top Landing Gear.